Thank you, worship team. Hey, Eric, I had a quick question. Eric, I'm sorry, I have a quick question. Um, secular books as well, or just Christian books? So everything? You want everything? Shades of gray or like certain... Well, I'm kidding, that's what I'm saying. Like, what types of... Really, I mean, there are certain books we don't want here. So I'm, I'm trying to make this very clear, so we're very explicit. Like, we don't want objectionable... All right, I'm just making sure. Okay, anything that's objectionable. But I'm, I have to say that so that people... Be thinking along those lines of, of where you're leaving these books. Of course, yeah. I, sh- I probably shouldn't have said that. Of course. Why would I think that? Um, well, 17,000 books can be stored there. Well, 16,000 are probably yours. Maybe the other 1,000 would be mine. You would not believe as a child. I told you I would get pay- payback. To, no, I told you. Listen. Uh, you would not believe the amount of books that Pastor Linda stored in that house in the basement in the attic. She'd use our bedrooms, right? Whatever she had, any space that was available, she would put books there. She has books today. Some of these books are so used and worn out. I mean, I guess that's what makes them pretty, that's what makes them great, right? Really, being serious. You thought I was going to take it another direction, throwing you a bouquet, right? That was very nice of me. See that? I turned the other cheek after last week, right? See that? Well, good morning, I have a message that is in line. This is not part of a series. This message is in line with everything that has been happening over the course of uh, the past week or two. So I I hope you find the the common thread even along the lines of what you heard from Keith this morning. Isn't it pretty cool when you can find that thread in a meeting and you're just hit with it over and over again? Well, I enjoy that. Title of the message today is The Law of Entropy. And I want to start with a little observation from this past summer. Being next door to uh, my parents now, living on the same property, being neighbors, it's very interesting. Some of you know that Pastor Joe is the constant gardener. He loves flowers. Uh, Literally, if you come to the house, like you can come today, there are maybe 100 mums, like just... These, they're all over the property. They're everywhere. It, it's pretty cool. He loves flowers. That's great. Not really my thing. I mean, they look beautiful. I enjoy looking at them. But one of the issues that we had this summer was, we, you know, some, what are some of the enemies that plants and shrubs, what do we have to watch out for? All right, you have to watch out for deer. Yes, Pastor Joe is very vigilant. He will spray that deer off three times a day. You're supposed to spray it once a month. He's out there all the time. He sprays that stuff. Give me another enemy that you have to watch out for. Groundhogs. That's the one. Of course, slugs. Does anybody enjoy you? You like slugs? Not one person in here likes slugs. Those slimy little creatures that come out at night when you're sleeping in your bed and they destroy your flowers? You just gave up this summer. You, you gave up. You capitulated. Basically, you said, I'm done. They were eating. They started eating all of the flowers. He said, I'm done. I'm leaving the house last week. Now, this is gross, but I'm showing it to you. I close the front door and I go and I look down and this is what I see right here. You can't see them that well. 
he was a huge slug. This guy had been eating flowers probably for weeks, gorging himself on the flowers. And let me tell you something. I saw him and he saw me. This guy saw me and we made eye contact. All that was missing was like the Clint Eastwood music in the background. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, what are you going to do? I ran over, I grabbed the stick and I see this guy and he's really trying to get away. I sent you the picture, right? Of course, I won't tell you the end of the story. We have some young people in the audience. Wait, I didn't take the salt out. I should have. But nobody, right? We don't like slugs. You, we hate slugs. Do you know that in the Bible, there is a character in the Bible. I mean, there are numerous passages. We're going to be looking at the book of Proverbs today. And there is a character interwoven in many of the Proverbs that Solomon talks about, and the character is called the sluggard. The sluggard! And that word slug, what do you think of? That word connotes slug like slothness, uh, slow, lazy, whatever the word is, indolent, whatever the word is you want to choose, that's what a, that's, that's what a slug really stands for. Well, here today, you and I have to talk about the sluggard. You know, there's a guy that, uh, when I was in seminary, I had a, a class, a professor, uh, introduced us to a, a leadership guru. I had never heard of this gentleman before. His name is Max Dupree. He was a former, he is a former CEO of a Fortune 500 company, a furniture company, Herman Miller. He's written some seminal books on, on leadership. One of them in particular, um, The Art of Leadership, has sold over 800,000 copies. And he really has some good things to say. But he was asked a question, he talks about this in one of his books, he was asked a question. He said, what is the most difficult thing, somebody asked him, what is the most difficult thing that you have to face, he's a Christian, that you have to face in your spiritual and personal life? You know what his answer was? Of course I had to look this up. His answer was, the interception of entropy. The interception of entropy. Now, I am not a science teacher. I am a history teacher, a history, but I am not somebody that really delves into science. So I literally, I didn't know what entropy was. I mean, science class was a long time ago. And some of you in here, let me preface my comment by saying this. Some of you maybe are into science. I know there may be a couple of, I know there's at least one science teacher in the room. There may be more people that you love science. My definition, please do not come up to me after the meeting and say, that was not a precise and exact definition of what entropy is. This is my definition for the sermon. I don't care about entropy outside of what I give you today. So don't come up afterwards and say, did you know I don't care about entropy? All I care about is how it relates to what we're talking about today. So what is entropy? Entropy is the second law of thermodynamics. And it says that everything, to simplify it, everything on this earth is winding down that things are deteriorating and you can't stop it. It is an unstoppable force that takes place in this world. It affects you and it affects me. You want some examples of it? Do you want some examples of it? Did you ever buy a car? Once you take that car and you drive off the lot or a boat, especially a boat, a car, but let's use a car. You drive that car off the lot, it immediately depreciates in value by thousands of dollars. You've experienced entropy. How about in the summer? This may be a better example. 
Parents, you're so excited that your kids are back in school. Are you not really? Aren't you excited that they're back? Summer is a distant memory. Well, entropy is this. You ever see kids at the end of summer? It's right before maybe Labor Day weekend. And the kids say, hey, what do, what do you want to do today? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. And this just goes back and forth. That's entropy. That is entropy. Things are deteriorating. It's the end of the summer. I don't know. What do you want to do? Apathy, complacency, whatever. I don't really care. Cars will rust. Toys will break. Food will rot. There's food rotting probably in your house somewhere. Like there always is in mine. If you eat healthy, you find bananas in certain places, right? We open the fridge sometimes, and it looks like things are alive. The zucchini looks like it's just like morphed into some creature, and I'm afraid it's going to attack me as I open it, right? It's scary. That is entropy. Entropy, friends, is one of the most dangerous, deleterious things that you and I will encounter in this world. Because when en entropy sets in, it is sneaky, it is insidious. When entropy sets in, hope fades, it dissipates into the air. Dreams die, and you and me, we can settle for lives. We can be mired in mediocrity, and we don't even know it. We're not cognizant of it. Time is passing by, and we're moving along, and we are not becoming who God has created us to be. Entropy is one of the enemies that we must face. Complacency is an enemy that we must face. And I want to look at some Proverbs. Say, if you have your Bible, you may want to, I have numerous Proverbs. I tried to pick the ones that, you can do a search on this, and you can find all these Proverbs as they relate to the sluggard. Here's the first one. Proverbs 27, look what Solomon says, verses 23 and 24. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. What is he saying here? He's saying, hey, listen, listen, folks. Just because things are going well today does not mean that things are going to be okay tomorrow. It does not mean that things are going to be okay moving into the future. What was okay today is not maybe okay tomorrow, and you better take an inventory of your life. You better evaluate and look at things and see if entry entropy has snuck in as it seeped into your world. The author I told you about before, Max Dupree, I had to share this. He gives a list in his book. I took a couple of the um, signs that entropy is, is, is an issue that you need to look at in your life. Here are some of them. A tendency towards superficiality, unresolved tension in key relationships, no longer having time for celebration and ritual, when people confuse heroes and celebrities, a loss of gratitude, and a vague, chronic sense of guilt. Let that sink in for a second. Look at your own life. Would you say that any of these are applicable to you? You know what, you know what is even more dangerous, though, friends? I know you're looking at your own life right now. But when entropy seeks, seeps into the church... Every church starts with a dream. There is a group of people that gather around a vision that God has given them. 
Oh, man, and everybody is excited. Oh, about the kids and, and, and raising them up and the way that they should go. Everybody's excited about programs. I mean, we heard this morning, you know what I heard from my brother today? We need some more help. Entropy. We have become complacent. What did you hear last week from the general? What did you hear from Pastor Linda? Entropy. It is a dangerous thing that we must deal with. Keith, when he was up here today, what was so great about that, you heard his heart and he challenged us 86,400 seconds every day. What are we doing with it? This is the way the enemy is coming after us. He's not with the pitchfork and the red cape. This is, one of his, this is one of his tactics that he's trying to take us out with. Be complacent. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And the church, you know what a, a problem that can happen in the church is? We go from becoming servants to customers. How can you help me? I'm in this church. I'm here today. What do you have for me? Is the music good for me? Is it going to bless me? Is this sermon going to bless me? How can you feed me? Instead of saying, how can I serve this church and this community? We must battle entropy. This is my favorite proverb. Proverb 24. Look at this one. I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed and learned a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty. Last week, Megan and I took uh, J-Bone, which we affectionately call him, Jameson. You don't think that's funny. I think it's funny. We took, we took Jameson to a, uh, a farm out east that, that we love. It's become kind of like a ritual or a tradition now. And I mean, you, I, this, this place is unbelievable. There are games for the kids. I mean, there are all different animals. I mean, any kid is in their glory. I'm probably more in my glory than he is. I'm having fun, except for the fact they have really bad food. Um, they have, like, corn that's, like, I mean, they glob the butter on it. And they had, they had fried apple cider donuts. And she's, look at, I mean, stuff that you should not eat. I want you to do things. You should not eat that kind of food. I was looking for the organic area. They didn't have one. It was just food that didn't have any nutritional value. I digress. At this place, though, really, at this place, we took a hayride. I said, honey, the hayride is at 1145. We need to be over there at about right, we need to be over there at about 11:30. I can't wait for the hayride. We get on the hayride. There are other people with us. The sun is shining. It is a beautiful early uh, autumnal day. I mean, I, I'm in, I just I'm loving this. So that we go, and some woman that looks like Cher, she starts singing a song. She sets the mood. Really, literally, I looked like her sister. So we're going on this hayride, and we're looking out, and you see all the pumpkins here, and you see the corn stalks over here, and then we came at a turn here and you see this house in the distance and in front of this house the house is overlooking this beautiful vineyard oh picturesque gorgeous I would have given anything to just spend a day at that house on the porch looking out at this vineyard and it really hit me friends I said how much time I'm all the rows are perfect everything is perfect right the grapes there are no weeds like you see here in this there was none of that 
Somebody took meticulous care of this vineyard. Somebody was very fastidious. They were out there probably every single day monitoring and saying, what do I need to do with this vineyard? What do I need to do? Because if we don't, that person didn't take care of the vineyard, whoever owns it, what happens? Disarray. The weeds start to grow. And you just kind of get used to it. How about your own life? Every single one of us has a vineyard. And you know what's so cool? Let me put this in its historical context. When Solomon, we could miss this. When Solomon is writing this, somebody in the ancient Near East, if you had a vineyard, you were blessed beyond belief. You had an area that you could grow crops, grapes, whatever. This was the chance of a lifetime. Have you ever had a situation, an opportunity, a chance of a lifetime to do something? That's what Solomon is saying. Oh my gosh, this was supposed to be something that was to bless the entire community. This is the chance of a lifetime. This individual is walking by there squandering what they have been given, this incredible gift. You have any regrets about things, decisions that you made? I know I have one very quickly. Last year, Pastor Tom is, is, is going on this cruise with Brandon Heath, Mercy Me, all of the greatest Christian bands that are out there. And he tells me about it like far in advance. He says, look, it's a week. I want you to come with me. We'll have a blast. We get to hang out on our own island for a full day with, with all these individuals by ourselves, without the people that are on the cruise ship that want to see these bands, just us. You've got to come with. I said, all right, let me, let me figure it out. Let me look at my schedule. I go into school, right, September. Hey, look, in November, is it okay? You know, I, I go through the whole situation with my principal. He's pushing me to go. You really should, oh, it sounds like a great opportunity, but I'm going to miss five days of school. No, you really should go do this. You know the end of the story. I didn't go. I still regret it. I have a voicemail on my phone from Brandon Heath. He literally, Tom had him call. He said, you got to call my buddy. you got to call him. He loves your music. You have to call him. So he rubbed it in, right? He rubs it in, and he has the guy leave a message on my phone. Pretty neat. It's like a minute and a half. I will never, if somebody, that's another reason why. If I lost my phone yesterday, I don't have that message. I almost lost my phone. Anyway, so, so you have to see the angst behind this here. The author, is, he's trying to show us this is the chance of a lifetime. Friends, every one of us in here, you have been given a vineyard. Your body, your mind, your will, your finances, your family, you have been given a vineyard from God. How are you doing with it? What, friends, is the state of your vineyard? Because I see here in this, in this story, you know, what is, you know what is so tragic about this? The tragic part of this is the, the guy is walking by and he's oh my gosh. He's thinking, what could have been for this individual the gift that they were given? And you know what's crazy about this? This is sheer neglect. This isn't a catastrophe. This isn't a tsunami that ruined the vineyard. This is not a hurricane. This is not a tornado. This is sheer neglect. And that's what entropy is. It's not even really a thing. That's why it's so sneaky in our lives. We need to be aware of the enemy's tactics. You know, I have, I have a friend that, um, he doesn't come to church here. Let's call him Sluggo. I, I obviously don't want to give you his real name. 
But I have a friend at work that, oh my gosh, I look at, I, I look at the state of his vineyard. And he constantly talks to me. He's in a job that he really doesn't like. He doesn't really enjoy what he's doing. Kind of hates it. Complains about it. The worst part of it is he, he blames God. And I'm always like, I want to strangle him and choke him out sometimes. Why I would not be a good counselor. That's why you counsel. But I look at this guy sometimes and I want to say, listen, sluggo, this is your one and only life. He doesn't, he's adverse to taking any risks, doesn't want to take any risks, doesn't want to step out of the boat, and he blames God for the vineyard that he's in right now. And I want to be like, God didn't put you in that. This is your problem and your fault. You need to live in reality. You know what Pastor Linda said last week, and I wrote this down? Reality is your friend. Some of us live in fantasy worlds. I mean, really? We look at the vineyard that I don't want to be in this vineyard. I want to be in somebody else's vineyard. Oh, that vineyard looks a lot nicer than my vineyard. They don't have as many weeds. God has put you in the vineyard that you're at, and you better start working it and start dealing with some of the issues that you have. It is a wake-up call. I'm just continuing to sound the trumpet of what you heard. This is just a wake-up call. A continued wake-up call for our lives, and reality better be our friends. I subscribe to, we subscribe to, my, my parents do as well, um, a journal. It's a leadership journal, a Christian journal. And one of the articles is really interesting. It was a, a very notable Christian author was asked a question in this article that I'm reading. How does one go about writing a book? <laughs> and what was so neat about it is he said, you know how somebody, starts, you know how somebody writes a book? They write an article and they send it to a magazine, gets rejected. Boom, they send it to another magazine. Boom, gets rejected. Send it to another one, gets rejected. Send it to another one, gets rejected. Eh. Then they write a new article. They send it to another magazine, they send it to another magazine, rejected, rejected. Eventually, they get to know an editor, and the editor says, you know what, this is a pretty decent article, and they accept it. And he went on to say, you know what people, you know what we do in, our, in this country? We look at things and say, I don't want to do that. I wouldn't want to do that. I just want to write a book. I'm not saying any of you really want to write a book. Maybe some of you do. Jack, you've already written a book. You need to write a book. But you look at it, and what was I saying? Okay, so he's, he's basically saying in that story, what he's saying is people just want to write a book, and they want it to be like a bestseller. And they want to be famous, and God, I just want to give you all the glory that you gave me this great idea. Nobody wants to work for it. Nobody wants to live in reality. Friends, it's time that we live in reality individually and that you live in reality corporately. I wasn't going to share this, but I might as well. I have a friend. And what you heard from the general last week, I teach with a guy who was just deployed. He'll be in Yemen and Egypt. And he'll come back around Christmas time. It's not the first time he's been overseas. And he said to me before he left, and he, he's intel, and he's obviously not allowed to divulge much information. But he did say to me, he said to me before he left, we had a meeting in Rome, New York this summer. I've never been more scared in my life because it was a whole um, preparedness plan, basically, for if a, he's, in his words, the inevitability of us getting attacked again. Oh, Lech, you have no idea how many plans have been foiled. You have no clue. You'd be amazed. Obviously, we would all be amazed. And that's not... Any earth-shattering news, you're probably aware of that. But he went on to talk about a dirty bomb. And he said how they could just, a, a person in the city, a major city, it's the, it, it could fit in somebody's knapsack. And the, oh my gosh, the damage that this, what we would incur, 800,000 people, they said, they estimated in New York City, city would be killed. 
They were talking about how would they transport the injured, the wounded up north. I mean, he went through this whole scenario. He said, everybody there, you left. It was, everybody was reticent because you knew at some point that we're living in a time and age when everybody is asleep. We're asleep at the wheel with what's going on. Me included, top of the list. Sleep walking through life and not seeing what's really going on out there. Friends, we got to wake up. Next proverb. Proverbs 6, 9 through 11. How long will you slumber, O sluggard? Don't you just love sluggard? I just love it. I want to say it all day. When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep? A little slumber? A little folding of the hands to sleep? So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. I want you to notice, what's the word that you see over and over? What is Solomon trying to say? What's the word that's repeated? A, a, a little? Do you see a little? A little bit. Oh, just, just, just a little bit here. A little of this and, and a little of that. In a little while, I'll get to that. How many of you would say that's a word? Oh, yeah, you know what? In a little while, I'll get to that, God. You know what? A little while, my prayer life, my spiritual life, in a little while, I'll start taking care of my physical body. In a little while, I'll do this. And then what happens is entropy is seeping in, and we're not aware of it. Great story from the L.A. Times. Apocryphal. Not a real story, but good nonetheless. A guy is, he's back at his neighborhood in the house that he grew up 20 years ago. He goes up to the front door, knocks on the door, New owner answers the door. He says, hey, you know what? For sentimental reasons, any way that I could just look through the house, I grew up here, and the person says, yeah, all right, sure, sure. Guy goes in the house. He's looking around. He eventually makes his way up to the attic. He's in the attic. Don't ask me why. Obviously, you probably wouldn't let somebody go in your attic, but this is apocryphal. So the guy goes up into the attic, and he actually finds, he finds this jacket that was his from 20 years ago. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this jacket is still here. Puts the jacket on. Doesn't fit him as well, but puts his hand in the pocket, and he pulls out a receipt. He's like, what is this? It's from a shoe repair shop, I guess in the midst of, of, of moving and everything, getting get all the clutter out of the house, moving to his new location. He totally forgot that he had a pair of shoes that needed to be repaired. One of whim, he says, you know what? I'm going to go see, even if this shoe repair shop is still open. Let me go see. Gets in the car. Drives to the place. It's still open. It's still there. On another one, he says, you know what? I'm going to go inside and just give the guy the receipt. I'm going to give him the ticket. Goes in the store. Gives the ticket to the owner. Says, yeah, I'm here to pick these up. Guy goes in the back. Comes back out. And he says to him, they'll be ready a week from Thursday. <laughs> Isn't that how we live, though? You know, a week from Thursday, I'll do that. It's not a good time right now. Oh, my kids are small. It's not a good time for me to get involved. Oh, I'm really tired. I, I don't know if I can make that meeting. Oh, I'd love to go to that prayer meeting on Wednesday night. But oh, oh, Friday night, you know, we had that music thing. You know what? But I had a long week. Sunset fatigue syndrome. I'm just so tired. I get home. I mean, I just want to plop on the couch. That's all I want to do. You know what? A week from Thursday, then I'll get involved in stuff. It's a story about Satan in hell. <laughs> Gathers together some of his emissaries, and he makes an announcement. And he says, I want to see to the ruination of men and women on planet Earth. I want you to tell me, what would your plan be for helping ruin their lives? They are made in the creation of God. I want to ruin them. I want to stamp them out because of who they represent. His first, mid, excuse me, his first minion comes up to him. 
What is your, he says to him, what is your plan to ruin their lives? And the minion says, I'm going to tell them that heaven doesn't exist. Satan says, no, that's not going to work. You see, in their book that they believe, eternity is set in the hearts of men. And deep down, oh, they all know what is true, what is real, and what is good. Next guy comes up. He is fouler than the first minion. I mean, this guy is gross. And he comes up, and Satan says, what is your plan? And he looks at Satan, and he says, I'm going to tell them that hell doesn't exist. He says, no, 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 that's not a good idea either. You see, in every single human being, they have what is known as a conscience. There is an inner voice, and they know deep down that one day good will ultimately triumph and evil will lose. They know that deep down. Finally, the third one comes up, and he has a smile on his face. And Satan looks at him and says, what is your plan? And he says, my plan is simple. I'm going to tell them, don't hurry. You have all the time that you need. He's telling you right now those same lies. There's no hurry. You have as much time as you need. A week from Thursday, you can change that thing, that vineyard that you have. Don't do it right now. Don't worry. Later on down the road, a week from Thursday, you can change it. Do you see how he's attacking us? Do you see how he's keeping us in a state of complacency? That we're not living in reality and there are weeds everywhere? In some part of your life, this is applicable. In some part of your life, this is implicable, and he wants us to wake up. You know, we're talking about America, right? And I can't help but think as a history teacher, what happened in colonial America when, they were being, when the colonists are being oppressed by the British, the British monarchy, and they have, no ta- they have no say in English parliament, and they're being taxed. What do the colonists say? It takes a Scottish immigrant by the name of Thomas Paine to write an incendiary document, common sense. Wake up, America. Wake up from your slumber. Friends, I ask you as I'm looking out, will you wake up from your slumber? It's time. It's time that we wake up and get in the battle. There is a raging battle going on. We don't battle against flesh and blood. You've heard that. Powers, principalities, things that we can't see with our visible eyes, but that's not the real battle. Where are your swords? It's not a fun message to hear today. But we're all complacent. We all need the wake-up call. The alarm has been sounded. Don't say you weren't warned, because I've been warned. Do not look at us and say that I didn't get a warning from my church and my pastors. Oh, no, we warned you time and time again. How about Proverbs 26? Look at Proverbs 26, what he says. The lazy man says, there is a lion in the road. A fierce lion is in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a lazy man on his bed. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. The lazy man is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Seven is the number of perfection, many of you probably know. But 
I only heard one person laugh. Look at the fur. Like, there is a lion in the road. Do you ever go outside and see lions in the road that you just, you couldn't do anything because there are animals, fierce animals that will tear you apart? You still don't think it's funny. This is humor. This is supposed to be comedic. When will you ever see lions, tigers, and bears in the road? Never. This guy is rationalizing. The sluggard is rationalizing. He is making excuses. Anything that he can say to stop doing what he is supposed to be doing. Oh, some of you got it. All right. At least you got it. Okay. <laughs> that's, what he's, that's what he's namely getting at here. Any pretext will serve. And I thought of this too. Men, we are so guilty of this how we rationalize and say things. I mean, wife says to the husband, honey, will you go outside and find your I mean, the grass is so high, we st I still can't find them. Like, the grass is, will you please go outside and try to find your kids? Will you play with your kids? And where's the husband, right? He's on the couch, and he's, today he's watching the game, like, I'll be later on, and he's watching the game, and he's tired, and honey, I just had a really rough week at the office. Really rough week. But, 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 the phone rings. Bing, bing. Hey, buddy. You want to go play a round of golf? 18 holes? That person, that guy gets up off the couch. All of a sudden, he has found the fountain of youth, and he has all the energy he could possibly need. I'm going to play golf. But before, five minutes ago, he was too tired to even play with his kids. Oh, man, we are so guilty of this, aren't we? It's the, it's the guy in here. It's you that you, you work at the office, and you come home, and you really are too tired to spend. Spend time with your kids. That's entropy. It's the husband and wife in here that you've been married for some time. And on the outside, it looks to the rest of us and the rest of the world that you have this great relationship, but you haven't had a meaningful conversation in some time. Entropy has set in your life. It's neglect. That's the word. It's complacency. It's utter neglect of what is going on, and you need to take inventory. And I think when you look at sluggardism, I think we, we suffer from selective entropy. Don't you think we suffer from selective entropy? Because some of you in here are going, I am not slothful in any way, James. I am type A. I am an overachiever. Because this is what I said to myself when I first am looking at this. I am type A, baby. I will go. I will do anything. Burn the candle at both ends. I will work, work, work. Not good. I mean, we're going to talk more about Sabbath. I mean, I, I, we need to. How many of you are doing well with Sabbath? That's what I thought. <laughs> but no, really, when you look at this, some of you are probably saying, this is not applicable to me because I don't suffer from this. I work very hard, and I would say to you, you need to look into the mirror a little deeper because there is some area, there is some vineyard in your life whether it's work, whether it's your family, your finances are a wreck, I don't know what it is, but there is some vineyard in your life that you better take account of, that you better look at, that God's talking to you and he's talking to you right now. You want an example from my life? I thought about it this year. Last year, to get, make a long story short, at school, one of the vineyards that God was addressing in my life was school. I could go to school in my sleep and teach my lessons. I was teaching the same thing for 14, 15 years. My lessons, I felt like they were pretty good. I had them down, but it was, I would kind of go through the motions. And then last year, an opportunity arose where I could teach 
new classes, advanced placement classes, something I'd never taught before. It was going to be a lot of work. Some people, people close to me were like, you're crazy. Do you really need to do this? Why would you do this? You already do church. You're going to take on something like that? And I said, you know what? I feel like God is calling me out of my comfort zone because I have been complacent. It was a vineyard in my life where weeds were growing, where I was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go through the motions a little bit. I'll go to work. I'll be there for the kids. I'll do what I have to do. But I am really not challenged. And I can tell you, friends, I am up late at night. I'm up every single night, but I love it. Not that I didn't love work, but I go to work, my feet at the floor, and I go in there, and I love what I do. I needed a new challenge. My vineyard, God was addressing that in my life. And I go in, and the passion that I have, it's back. I feel like I'm a first-year teacher again. What is it for you? What is your vineyard? Talk about prayer. My prayer life has been in the dumps. In the dumps. Even having devotional time and getting up, it's not where I want it to be. I'm not going to say should. I don't live by shoulds, but it's not where I know God wants it to be. How about you? Are you on your knees in this battle? I'll get to the end of this. I'm going I'm to last. Uh, go to the ant. It's the last proverb. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which, having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Two things here in this last one. What is Solomon saying here? There's two things. One, look at the ant. Don't you love ants? You watch them. All they do is work. They work, and they work, and they work. Keep going, keep going. But they don't need somebody. They don't need somebody to motivate. Hey, you know what? You're not getting it done today. Come on. Can't you be like the other ants? They don't need any external motivation. They are there, and they work, and they move, and they go. How about you? I know my job is to motivate and inspire. I get that. You can't look at other people. You need to look at yourself and your relationship with God and what is God calling you to do with your vineyard. Stop looking at other people and stop comparing your vineyard to somebody else's. Will you accept reality of where you're at in your particular vineyard? It's killing me how people will not take steps of faith. And they're looking around, no, no, this, I want my vineyard to look like this. This is how life should be. No, you need to take a step. Stop waiting for the perfect house, the perfect family, the perfect job. Stop. Accept yeah. reality. It's your friend. Let me just conclude with this. Give you a whole message on the law of entropy. You're all experts now being facetious. I said to you that the law of entropy is irreversible. That things are winding down on this planet and there's no way to change it. It's not really the truth. Because God ultimately can change the status of your vineyard. God looks at your vineyard and he says, it's not too late. There is still time. I am the God that created the heavens and the earth. I am the God that created all the ocean. I'm the God that created the seas. I'm the God that created everything that you see, every single animal on this earth. I created that. And your situation and your vineyard, oh man, I want, he will not force himself on you. Do you understand that? 
God will not force himself on you. That is not love. Love has to be reciprocated on our end. We have to say, God, you know what? I open myself. I see the state of my vineyard. I'm asking you to help me in this situation. Lord, come in. Intervene. He will not force himself on us. And how he waits and he cries and he longs to be with you in your vineyard, in your mess, in your pig pen so that he can transform it and make you the person that he created you to be. So friends, as we come to this table this morning, it's probably a little long-winded. You know, I want you to come up to the elements today. And I need you to reflect on this question. What do I need to change in my particular vineyard? What do you need to change? Where does God have his finger? What is he pointing to? And then corporately, you heard again a wake-up call, just another wake-up call for all of us as a church. There are things that are going on that are here to bless us. Do not let this enemy take us out of the race. Lord, Lord, I thank you that you can overcome this law of entropy, that only you can. Science can search long and hard. They may not understand it, but it's you behind the scenes. You can change things. Lord, I ask that we would be open and receptive, that you have pricked our hearts today throughout the whole meeting, not just the sermon, Lord, in the music, and what we heard from Keith and Pastor Linda and Pastor Joe, everything that has been shared today, has, there's a common thread and a common purpose. Lord, this is indeed a wake-up call. Will you wake up this nation? Will you wake us up individually? And may we be on the wall, as we heard before about Nehemiah. May we find our place on the wall and get ready to do battle and not fall asleep and not be complacent. May we not be people that are slugs, Lord. May we not be sluggards in our lives. Challenge us. Help us, Lord, to be un help us, Lord, to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Help us, Lord. We don't want the easy life. We don't want the easy way. We want to be in the battle in the midst of everything that's going on. Give us the fortitude and the perseverance to move through, to trust you. And Lord, I thank you that you love us so much, Lord. How precious are your thoughts to us. How vast are they. They are more than all of the sand on the seashore. That's how much you love us. Help us to feel that, experience that, know that, believe that. Amen. Ushers.
Yeah. 